0: Welcome to the EdSurge Podcast, where every week we look at the future of learning. I am Jeff Young. I'm a reporter and the managing editor here at EdSurge. If you've ever spent time with a teenager, or remember being a teenager, you know that they're night owls. And they don't just pop up in the morning, raring to head to school. Well, it turns out there's loads of science backing up this observation. Teen brains and bodies They're just different in what they need when it comes to sleep. And this has become a major education policy issue with implications for schools around the country. Because it turns out lots of high schools start early. Many expect teens to be in their desks as early as 7 a.m. or even before, which just doesn't add up in terms of letting these students get the amount of sleep that doctors recommend. And this is not just about whether kids have enough sleep to learn. There are serious implications for mental health as well. This week, we are digging into the issue, looking at the latest in brain science around sleep and the policy debate that's heating up in states around the country. Our guest is Lisa Lewis, an education journalist who has been on a mission lately. She spent the last few years researching teen sleep and becoming an advocate for starting school later. She shares what she's found in a new book, The Sleep Deprived Teen, Why Our Teenagers Are So Tired and How Parents and Schools Can Help Them Thrive. We started our conversation by talking about the science of sleep and about a very unusual summer camp, which it turns out was pivotal in the modern understanding of teen sleep.
1: The official name was the Stanford Summer Sleep Camp. And it was um, it, it had the trappings of a camp in that it, it you know was for uh, kids and teens and and they came and they did have camp activities. This was held on the campus, but really it was a sleep study,
0: research, scientific research. Absolutely.
1: So this was um, sleep research. The camp itself ran for a decade, from 1976 to 1985. And um, it really was a a, um, a, a long-term sleep study of kids and adolescents to look at teen sleep. Because prior to then, there really had not been um, as much done looking at sleep during the day, and particularly looking at the specifics of teen sleep. So these campers, you know, they check in for camp. But as part of that, they got electrodes um, basically glued to their skull. They had a couple that were you know, nested in their hair. They had a couple by their eyes. They had one by their chin. And they had these little cords that ran from them. Um, one of the f- former campers who's an adult now said it was sort of like the cord that runs out of your iPhone. And so all these cords would sort of then be tied up behind their heads in this little ponytail. And th- they had wore these electrodes the entire time. So in between doing sort of the normal camp activities, you know, eating meals and playing volleyball and going for ice cream, they had to go back to their rooms every two hours and take naps. And that was the real purpose of it. So it had to sort of be surrounded by all the the trappings of, of a, a camp, so that it was enjoyable enough for the kids to keep them coming back each year.
0: I, I love the detail of they couldn't go in the lake, the beautiful lake, because of the, the the electrodes. But but they had a lot of activities, and then the the obviously the scientists are are getting information uh, through this.
1: Yes. So what they were doing is. Um, Basically, they were studying how long it took them to fall asleep, and there was a a new test that uh, had just been developed called the MSLT, the Multiple Sleep Latency Test, which is essentially how long does it take you to fall asleep. That's what the term sleep latency means. Um, And so they were taking naps, and they were measuring how long it it took these, these kids and teens to fall asleep. And um, they were, you know, getting a full night's sleep at night. And what they found was that across the board, the kids and the teens were getting about nine and a quarter hours of sleep each night. But the teens often were um, falling asleep much more quickly during nap time. So these nap times were uh, capped at 20 minutes And they would either fall asleep and then they would, uh, if they did actually fall asleep, they would be woken up because they didn't want them to actually sleep during the day because then that was going to affect their sleep at night. But the fact that they were able to fall asleep during the nap time was very telling. And so um, they were essentially gathering all these records about their sleep patterns. And uh, through that, that was one of the ways that um, that was the, the first major um, insights into teen sleep really were gathered as results of that camp. The main researcher uh, who was working on it at the time, her name is Dr. Mary Karskadden. She's gone on to, to um, find many other um, insights that um, they were sort of s- starting to um, gather, you know, insights into the fact that teens did indeed sleep differently. But for instance, later on, she was able to um, measure melatonin. Melatonin is um, what's released by the brain, and that's what primes us to go to sleep at night. And what they had surmised, and then what she was later able to prove later on with a series of subsequent tests, was that the timing of when the melatonin is released is later at night in teens. And when it subsides in the morning is also later in teens. So that's something she's studied in the ensuing years. She's now at Brown University. She runs a sleep lab there. So they measure things like melatonin level through saliva samples. So there's been a a ton more research that's been done in this area. Um, And particularly, she she is the the pioneer in the area of adolescent sleep research.
0: And, okay, so so much was learned in the study that something about Adolescence it's different with sleep. And what is the takeaway, especially that educators need to know about why does it matter that um, why does sleep matter for for kids in a, in a way that might be extra?
1: Yes, well, that is such a big question. And I think it's for educators, it's for parents, it's for educators who are parents. I think for so many of us, not necessarily understanding just the basics of teen sleep. Um, I know I certainly didn't as a parent, when I first started looking into this, I had sort of a general sense, but I really didn't truly understand. And I think the first thing to understand is um, the amount of sleep teens need is eight to 10 hours. So, you know, we generally hear, oh, eight hours. Well, eight hours is the midpoint for adults. We need seven to nine hours. But teens need eight to 10 hours. Eight is the minimum recommended amount. And, um, you know, so we look at our teens and often they'll look like adults, you know, but they're not. They do need more sleep. Um, So those sleep recommendations are um, from the National Sleep Foundation. The other thing to recognize about teen sleep is that their sleep schedules are different. And that's what I was referring to with um, the the timing of of when melatonin is released. They have essentially a different body clock that is governing when they wanna fall asleep and when they wanna wake up in the morning. So it's a circadian rhythm shift, which means that unlike when they were younger, they really aren't sleepy and ready to fall asleep until closer to about 11 o'clock at night. So then that means when you do the math, they need eight to 10 hours If they are supposed to be sitting in their desks for a 7.30 morning bell at school, there's no way they can be getting the 8 to 10 hours sleep that they need. So I think that's the first essential piece is just to understand how many hours of sleep teens truly need and the fact that they are not able to fall asleep until late at night. And that's because of biology. So then on the other end, schools... That you know, that is a controllable um, factor, whereas we can't really control their biology.
0: <laughs> the I was really curious. Um, there's, you know, obviously, as you said, one thing schools can do and have an impact on adolescent sleep is to not have a super early start time. Um, how did the school start times get so early in so many places?
1: It's interesting because, to your point, they were not always so early. So back about a century ago, schools started closer to nine o'clock in the morning. And they have drifted earlier over time. One large factor that played into that um, was the transportation piece. So as more schools cropped up, um, eventually there was school consolidation. You know, we had suburbs, we had all the growth in the school system. At some point with transportation, um, school districts, often were using the same fleet of buses for pickups and drop-offs for the elementary, in the middle, and the high school level. So they were doing it in a, a tiered fashion so they could use the same buses. Well, at that point in time, all this research about teen sleep wasn't yet widely known. So, you know, the thought was, oh, well, they're older, so they should definitely be the ones to start earlier. And then unfortunately, those start times in so many cases have endured even now that we know that teens should be starting later in the morning. In fact, the official recommendations from the American Academy of Pediatrics came out in 2014, and their recommendation is that middle and high schools should start no earlier than 8.30 in the morning. And that's because of the impact that school start times have on teen sleep.
0: Now, one of the things about the bus schedules, which, you know, there are these logistics that are, fascinating the, the repercussions it can have what you know what do you do you think the schools have to buy just more buses or can you just stagger it differently so that the older kids are the ones getting the later start time
1: I, I'm hesitating because there are so many different ways that a district can address that question because as you know every situation is different there you know they all have uni- unique little aspects to them so broadly speaking Um, some districts can do that flip. So if the elementary schools were starting the latest and high schools are starting the earliest, they can flip that, Um, which does make more sense in terms of what matches with when the kids are awake and ready to learn. Um, That generally makes the most sense. There are a couple caveats. The first is that you don't want elementary school starting at 730 in the morning either, generally speaking. So any schools that are starting that early, you might need, you might want to take a look at that. I mean, is that really what's best for the students? Because ultimately I think we would agree we want to be doing what's best for the students. Um, So one other piece uh, to keep in mind is in a case like that where a district might be able to look at flipping the schedule because they already have different start times for, say, elementary versus high school with the elementary school starting later and the high schoolers starting early. Well, parents are already familiar with those different start times. That would mean a parent whose kid has gone through the district already experienced what it was like to get their kids to school at that later time when they did have an elementary school student. Um, And One of the things that I really realized when I was looking at the history of this and and looking at how these start times came about was that they weren't designed with student well-being in mind. They weren't really designed with um, families in mind. I mean, I think, you know, as a parent, we adjust to the school schedules. They don't mirror the work schedule. They don't mirror our lives. If you are a full-time working parent, you don't generally get summers off and winter break and days off that happen to exactly coincide with teacher prep days. So these are all things that parents already are doing to adapt their schedules to whatever the school schedule is. Um, So for schools that may be looking at making a change like this, it absolutely does require change for parents. And I think sometimes it's just the, um, the idea of change that's so hard because we've already had to adjust And create our schedules around the school start time. So it it does take time. It's very important to have a transition time period built in so that schools and parents and all the other ancillary activities that surround the school day can have time to adjust and also to really recognize why we're doing it. It's being done because this is the right thing to do for our kids, for their, their health and their well-being. I mean, this is literally what every single medical group out there recommends. The American Academy of Pediatrics, the American Medical Association, the American Psychological Association, the list goes on and on. This is what is best for our kids.
0: It's mental health as well as their ability to learn.
1: Oh, absolutely, and mental health is such a huge piece of it. So we know there is a link between mental health and sleep. And um, I mean, just first of all, when we're sleep deprived, all of us tend to be in a worse mood. You know, I know for me, I I guess you'd say when you have a little kid, you would say they're cranky. When you're an adult, you would say that you're you're crabby. Um, But these are this is real. It does it affects mood, but more seriously, there's a link with depression. Um there's a link with suicidality. There are some very, very profound implications um, when you look at being sleep deprived and what that does for mental health. Um, just in terms of a couple quick statistics, even they've shown that the less sleep teens get, the more their suicide risk goes up. So, for instance, there's one study in Fairfax County, and they found for each hour of lost sleep, it was linked to a 42% increase in suicidal thoughts and a 58% increase in suicide attempts. So that's very, very concerning as a parent. Um, And they've also found on the flip side that when teens do get more sleep, it is a way to lower their suicide risk. So there was a a meta-analysis where they looked at scores of previous studies, and what they found was what they call a dose-response relationship. So for every one-hour increase in teen sleep, the risk of planning suicide went down by 11%.
0: Yeah, no, those are powerful statistics. So um, back in around 2016, it sounds like, you ended up shifting, from being primarily a journalist, covering issues of education, to being an advocate for later school start times. What was it that made you decide to get involved?
1: Well, my involvement stems from being a parent. I am a parent and I am a parenting journalist, and there are times when those roles overlap. So the issue of school start times really hit my radar in the fall of 2015. I have um, two kids. My oldest is now in college. And 2015 was when he started high school. That was his freshman year. And at the time, our local high school started at 730 in the morning. Now, I personally am not a morning person. 730 felt pretty early to me. But I could also see it felt pretty early to him too. He was really not awake and ready to learn you know, I was driving him to school uh, in our district. Um, They didn't offer bus service for high schoolers. It's that's another whole story. But I was driving him to school every single day, you know, I could look over and I could see he was barely awake. So I'm dropping him off at school. You know, physically, he was there. But mentally, was he alert and ready to learn? I, I would say probably not as much as he could have been had he been fully awake. And at the end of the day, he was coming home and he was just beat. And it was a really um, exhausting schedule. And I didn't quite know why it was that our high school started at 730 in the morning. So I started looking into it. And what I found was that in our specific case, it had been that way, as long as anyone could remember, You know, there wasn't really any justification that I could find for it. But more importantly, what I quickly realized when I started looking into the issue of school start times was that it was a bigger issue than just our high school or our community. There was a huge body of research out there looking at teen sleep and looking at the fact that school start times and what time schools start in the morning actually plays a huge role in teen sleep. So again, this was 2015. And I happened to have tapped into this issue really right as it was hitting a critical mass. So that very same month, the CDC had released a report on school start times in the US. And what they found was only about 20% of schools were meeting um, the guideline of of starting at 830 or later.
0: Yeah, so okay, so you you felt like this was an issue that wasn't that, that was ripe for action.
1: Yes. And I tapped into an issue where there, again, there was this large body of researchers, people who had spent years and in some cases decades working on this. So there was a lot of research out there. Unfortunately, in far too many cases, schools were not, um, it wasn't reaching the schools and the schools were not changing their start times and as a result most kids were going to school at a time that was far too early in the morning so i started looking into it uh, i started writing about it because as a parenting journalist that's that's what i do and um, wrote a couple i wrote i think my first article about um, school start times came out my son's freshman year And then I wrote one, it came out the very beginning of his sophomore year. So this was 2016. It was an op-ed that ran in the Los Angeles Times called Why Schools Should Start Later in the Morning. That op-ed ended up being read by one of our California state senators, Anthony Portentino, whose district is in Los Angeles. He had a high school freshman at the time. So it was very much an issue that resonated with him. And as it turned out, their school was actually having conversations about whether to move to a later start time. So so he read that. It piqued his interest. He decided to look into the issue further. As part of that, his office reached out to a group called Start School Later, which is a a national nonprofit, um, as you might guess, their advocacy is for later school start times. I actually had started my own local chapter of Start School Later as part of my local efforts. So all of the people who were at that point, chapter leaders in California, um, got involved, uh, got hooked up with with Senator Portantino's office. That bill got introduced in February of 2017. And I ended up being involved to a a huge degree. It was a two and a half year legislative journey. I testified in front of the state assembly education committee. I was involved in ongoing communications. There was sort of a core group of us in California and then other people affiliated with Start School Later and other sleep researchers who were steadfast advocates for us all the way through. So Start School Later was a co-sponsor of the bill. Also, the California state PTA ended up as a co-sponsor of the bill as well because of the implications of school start times for student health and well-being. So, as I mentioned, two-and-a-half-year legislative process, had to go through numerous committees and hearings and floor votes, got all the way to Governor Jerry Brown's desk, and he vetoed the bill. Mm. And
0: that meant starting all over. It sounds like one argument the governor made was that... um, some districts were already moving to later and that it was should be up to each community. Is that the idea? And what, and what is the counter argument to this, this popular idea sometimes of like that just people should decide in their own groups, you know, systems.
1: The opposing um, viewpoint for having a statewide mandate mandate for school start times is it can be done locally and it should be decided locally. However, while there are many districts around the country that have changed their start times up until now, it's been done on a patchwork basis, and the net result is far too many of them are not meeting those guidelines of 830 or later, even uh, more recently when they've, when they've done studies looking at it. Um, the average start time as of 2017 in the U.S. was 8 a.m., but... More than 10% in the country are starting before 7.30 in the morning. So, and in California, the numbers were about the same. The average start time as of then for high schools was 8.04. Only 15% were meeting the recommendations. So, yes, there was nothing keeping them from from enacting these, these start times. But just when you look at the track record, you could see that not enough of them were doing so. And the other key piece, I think, is that this is a public health issue. That's why groups like the AAP have weighed in on this because of the profound implications of teen sleep deprivation and the link between school start times and teen sleep. So when you talk about other public health issues like asbestos or lead pain, those are not left to local discretion. Those are typically handled at the state level. So I think that's really one of the most important pieces to keep in mind here is truly this is a public health issue. And then this gets back to the mental health piece that you had mentioned. We know teen mental health was already poor even prior to the pandemic, and it's only gotten worse since. So that's incredibly concerning. And you have other groups sounding the alarm on that. The U.S. Surgeon General issuing a special advisory on teen mental health. It's like every few months there is very concerning data that comes out. So for me, keeping in mind all of those implications of school start times, it makes it pretty clear that really we need to be viewing it through the lens of it being a public health
0: issue. Why do you think the issue hasn't been faster to change with all these, you know, the research and other factors you've mentioned?
1: That's a good question. Um, I should say, again, there are probably hundreds of districts around the country that have made the change. One of the things that's sort of difficult is there is no central repository or central database. So it makes it hard to, to be able to give you an exact number. However, this group Start School Later that I mentioned, they do track what they can based on media reports, because generally speaking, when a school changes its start time, you know, it does get covered somewhere. So so that's sort of the best way to sort of track it. Um, As far as why more districts have not done so, I think in some cases it's it's difficult when you talk about change, just the concept of change is difficult we have so much already on our plates you know as i mentioned certainly for parents and for teachers that everything has been built around whatever the schedule is so that does represent a disruption to the status quo and there is a certain transition and you know that that can be inconvenient and so i think it's been far too easy to sort of not make this change even knowing it might be the right thing to do there's the reality of well you know, we've got all these other things we're, we're working on right now, and it just becomes one of those things that doesn't become um, the top priority. And that's why I think in California it's so significant that there will be this state law going into effect July 1st. So it went through the whole process again, it got signed into law by Governor Gavin Newsom in 2019. But there was a key piece of it, which is there's a three year implementation window so that it would allow enough time for schools and communities to prepare. Because that that is the best practice. You do want to give people enough notice. Every community, as I mentioned, is going to be different in terms of what are the specifics in that community, whether it's their bus schedule or whether it's sports or whatever it is that needs to be addressed. So having that three-year implementation period is really crucial. So that means in California, July 1st, of 2022 is when this new law goes into effect, which is, um, which is just amazing to see. And because the number of kids that that's going to affect in in California, public school enrollment for middle and high schools is over 3.3 million.
0: What has surprised you most in your research on this topic?
1: Well, you know, a couple things. So I came into this as a parent who really wanted to learn more. And um, you know, I say I sort of, I wrote the book that I wanted to have when my eldest was entering high school because I did really want to understand about you know why school started started so early, but also to know more about teen sleep. So I think um, finding out about that was key, and realizing how many people don't necessarily recognize that teens really do need eight to ten hours of sleep. Um, I was really surprised when I saw some of the data in terms of the school start times of how early other schools were starting too. because I mentioned our school started at 730. I found another school here in the in the larger Southern California area public school. As of today, their morning bell rings at 655 a.m. So I was pretty astounded when I found that out because that's mandatory. That's you must be sitting at your desk or you are marked absent or tardy or, or truant if you if you keep not showing up. Um, And so just seeing some of those numbers that in a couple of states like Louisiana, the average start time is 730. Massachusetts, 738. So really realizing the scope of this issue. Um, So I think it's really, for me, helping share uh, this information, helping spread awareness just of how important teen sleep is is kind of what what I've tried to focus on here and to help other parents understand too, because I know I didn't, I didn't know when I started looking into this. Um, And once you start looking at at some of this information, you realize uh, across the board, all the profound implications that being sleep deprived has that there is literally nothing we do better as a result of being sleep deprived.
0: Hmm. And your own did did your own children uh, benefit at all? Or did their schools stay at this early start time?
1: Well, my son, uh, he did not um, get to see the later start times during his high school year. So he's in college now, but he was, he was very interested in watching the whole progression. My daughter, who is a high school junior, um, does have later start times now. And what happened was in our local district, as happened in many districts around the country and, and also here in California, was that when the pandemic hit, <laughs> the schools had to abruptly shift to remote schooling At that point, many of them actually changed their start times and shifted to a later schedule. And that's certainly what happened here. And then once in-person schooling resumed, they kept that 8.30 start time. And particularly in California, for any school that had done that, it made all the sense in the world to maintain that later start time rather than revert to an earlier time and then have to switch it again because of the July 1st
0: implementation date. And did you notice a difference for your daughter?
1: Yeah, she's happier when she gets more sleep. I know certainly as a parent, it's easier. Um, It's interesting, though, because that that, that just touches on something that sometimes comes up, which is... As your kids get older, you don't necessarily have to do as much in the morning for them or with them. You know, you cannot expect a six-year-old to get out of bed and get themselves to school, you know, and get themselves dressed and, and make their lunch and make their breakfast and do all that stuff. By high school, really, you know, it's a different story. And in many cases, high schoolers are driving themselves to school. So definitely, um, it, it's an easier situation. Um, but yes, certainly as a parent, I've benefited too. <laughs>
0: All right. Well, I think we'll leave it at that. Thank you so much for for being here and for sharing all this.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: This has been the Ed Surge podcast. Every week, we bring you conversations like this one. If you like the show, please take a minute to leave us a rating or a review wherever you listen. And you can sign up for the Ed Surge podcast newsletter to get reminders and show notes about every episode. Just go to edsurge.com and click on the word newsletter at the top right. And a reminder that we will be doing a live taping of the Ed Surge podcast next month at the ISTE Live conference in New Orleans. We're going to be diving into the role education could play in the emerging metaverse. So if you're heading to that event, we hope to see you in person. This episode was written and produced by me, Jeff Young. And you can find me on Twitter at JRYoung or email me at jeff at edsurge.com. Music this episode by Rowan Jane. We'll be back next week with more on the future of learning. Thanks for listening.